Michigan State's bowl hopes are still alive. That's because Mel Tucker and the Spartans went to Champaign and knocked off the number 16 team in the nation. It was an impressive 23-15 win over noted Big Ten West powerhouse Illinois. I kid, but it was a big program win for a team that has had anything but an easy time over the last couple weeks. We will get into it all, look ahead to another winnable home game against Rutgers, and discuss the official start of Michigan State hoop season on episode 92 of MLive's Spartan Confidential Podcast. Brandon Champion, Kyle Austin, and Matt Wenzel with you on Wednesday, November 9th, 2022. Uh, Matt, how was the trip to the bustling destination of Central Illinois? Uh, uneventful. It was uh, very windy. Um, yeah, it, I don't know. I'd never been there before. Um, well, to cover a game. So, um, yeah, I, don't know. I think the stadium is kind of cool. The architecture from outside, the brick and stuff. Um, no, no complaints, really. Like we kicked around going to this game. I always try and go to at least one road game and I was going to go to this one, but uh, instead I'm going to New York tomorrow. So just, just kind of a random trip to go visit a friend. So I decided that I better not uh, leave the wife and kid for two weekends in a row if I want to stay married. Uh, so uh, what's with Mel only wearing a short sleeves, man. Wind doesn't seem to bother that guy. Channeling his inner Mark Staten, I guess. So uh, <laughs> there would be ga- there would be those games, those late November games where it's like thirty degrees outside, snowing, and and Staten, uh, if you guys remember him as an assistant under D'Antonio, was always. I don't know if that guy owned a long sleeve shirt, but no, I know it was it was a little little chilly. Um, but uh, Mel, 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 you know, you've seen the him sweating on the sidelines before and he gets a little worked up during the game. So he's fine. That's such he's a like, football coach thing though. To yeah. Be. Oh, I'm, I'm too tough to wear a long sleeve. I'm so big and burly. <laughs> he's like giving a post-game interview to big 10 network. And he's like sniffling every two seconds. I'm like, <laughs> maybe if you wore a hat or a sweatshirt, Mel, uh, but Kyle, you just heard from him. Uh, Life on the basketball beat is cushy, man. You are not heading to the middle of nowhere, Midwest. Uh, you're off to San Diego soon. I am, yeah. Uh, November, uh, I'll take November basketball travel over football travel any day of the week. But uh, yeah, it should be fun. going to get aboard the uh, USS Abraham Lincoln and um, see some see a pretty cool setup. I, you know, I was not on the beat the last time they did this. It'll be first for me, so really looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm sure we can get into some of the you can set the scene for us on the next episode next Mm -hmm. week. Kind of let us let us know what the whole experience was like. But, yeah, that should be pretty cool, uh, regardless of how the game goes. Uh, But, yeah, like I said, on this week's show, we're going to get into some of these Michigan State wins. Nice to talk about wins uh, for once. It's been a little bit and we were off the last time Michigan State beat Wisconsin. So we didn't really get to talk about that. But if you please like rate and review the podcast to be appreciated. Uh, check out MLive.com for not only all the election coverage, uh, our teams are doing a great job with that, but our, our MLive.com uh, slash Spartans coverage is all there for you as well. And you know where to find us on Twitter. But Matt, I was being a little facetious here uh, calling, you know, Illinois a powerhouse, but they were ranked in the top 20. They've had a solid season. Um, and considering everything that's been going on for Michigan State on the football side of things, uh, I think this was a solid program win that, that said a lot about Mel. Yeah, I mean, without rehashing everything obviously that happened it was you know you, you lost five to six uh, the post-game stuff at Michigan you got eight defensive players suspended uh, five of whom had started a game this season you got other injuries you go on the road against a team that statistically had the number one defense in the country has the you know the country's um, leading rusher 
nothing looked good about about this matchup. So, uh, you know, credit to, to Mel and the players, uh, the staff for for getting the, those guys together, not giving up on the season, clearly, because um, they, they went out there and they put together, a, you know, a good a, a, a good game. You know, I mean, the and especially you thought, OK, well, you know, Illinois got this great defense, you know, Michigan State's best chance is to throw the ball and it's, you know, 40 mile an hour wins. So you think, well, this is just going to add to the, the unlikelihood they'll, they'll win. But, you know, they ran the ball enough, you know, like topped 100 yards on the ground. So they got that going. I thought Jalen Berger ran pretty hard. I thought Peyton Thorne minus the pick uh, to start the game and, and missing a guy open on that third down call late. Um, I thought he played really well with I mean, given the conditions. He said it was the, the most difficult conditions he's ever played in to throw the ball. So, and then defensively, I mean, that's really the big, that was, that was a big difference. Um, we've seen lately, um, you know, they gave up what 441 in, in total yards or whatever it was, but, but you get five turnovers and downs and a fumble is you know, a little, it looked a little bit like uh, last year's defense early where you're giving up big numbers or total yards, but when it comes down to it, you're getting stops and limiting the score. So, you know, I, I thought that was a really um, strong defensive performance for them, you know, and again, missing the number of guys they were missing. Um, I mean, shoot, they, they essentially spent a good portion of the game with four defensive tackles up front, you, you know, with Jalen Hunt and Deshaun Mallory moving outside. Avery Dunn was the only defensive end, real defensive end who played in the game. Um so yeah, all around an impressive effort, um, and, and something they they can clearly build on. And like you mentioned, uh, a big boost for their bowl hopes needed uh, to win two of the last three to become uh, bowl eligible. I'm just impressed with with some of the guys on this team, some of the leaders. Uh, you know, getting the guys sort of rallied to take this on because it has not been an easy week. You know, you've got everyone nationally is is you know, ripping on Michigan state, you know, the name callings going on players have dealt with a lot after, you know, the whole team after, you know, eight guys we've seen suspended, you know, the unfortunate incident at Michigan. So some of these younger guys that got playing time, you know, you mentioned Jalen hunt. He's a guy we were really high on uh, coming into last season and he sort of faded into the uh, more of a depth role, but you know, he had expanded time. So I was just impressed with some of these younger guys, especially up front and just the way they came out and played and, and really uh, put all that aside and, and put together a quality game. Obviously, it didn't start well with Peyton Thorne throwing another interception, and the fan base was up in arms on Twitter and get rid of them, put them on. And then, you know, for him to, to bounce back and and perform, you know, well enough to win the game was impressive. You know, Chase Brown, he still got his, you know, what did he have? 23 for or 33 for 136. So that's about four yards of carry. He did not score. I'd say that was, uh, you call that a success. You know, Isaiah Williams did get free for that big one down the sideline. But overall, Michigan State's defense really made Illinois earn most of what they had to get. And you mentioned the big plays and the big moments, which that opportunistic style of defense is something we saw a lot last year. Yeah, it just, you know, I mean, well, it, I think it really, you know, the the pick to start and, you know, what, five plays later, they're at the, the three or whatever. And you get that goal line stand, another one of those from them this season. And that was you know, I, I think it was Cal Halliday so that, you know, he thought that really set the tone for the game. And I, you know, I couldn't argue with them because we saw that again and again, you know, they going for it on fourth down and getting off the field. So um, yeah, I, again, just think it's a, it was an impressive defensive performance with the guys being shorthanded. You had two true freshman safeties playing and, you know, obviously we've seen Jaden Mangum before he's got a couple starts, but Malik Spencer was in there. We saw more of Aaron Boulay. Um 
with with, with Jacoby Winman being suspended. Um, Halliday was named Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week. Uh, you mentioned like Hunt, Hunt and, and uh, Deshaun Mallory. Hunt, to to his credit, you know he's been he was hurt earlier this year. You know, but he's a guy who we talked to him yesterday. We say he was like three forty the start of fall camp, and he was hurt. And he's now down to like 306. So um, still, so I mean, a 306 pound defensive end, I don't think you see those too often. I mean, they basically had like 1200 pounds on the line for most of the game. Um, so uh, yeah. And despite what uh, Brett Bielema thinks, I don't think they were uh, faking injuries. <laughs> yeah. the ent- Can we talk about that? What <laughs> yes. is that? That comes off so salty. It's just, like- a, it's just such a bad look. Look, you, you are the ranked team. You're at home. You're playing a team that, has eight players defensive players suspended everybody's on them and you lose straight up no controversy and you're just gonna go oh well they were faking injuries okay well yeah good luck with that so and go ahead sorry i i can't help but chime in here because this this was absurd to me like like Bielema is smart enough to know that teams do that to slow down tempo offenses. They're moving so fast, we can't sub. We're going to fake an injury so we can get a sub or so we can get our guys a quick blow. Like, he has seen his offense, right? That it's all running high flying, slow and huddle every time. Like, it just makes it makes zero sense on its face, right? It's just so even if even if they every one of those guys was faking an injury, which is not the case because Jacob Slade and uh, Matt Carrick both left the game in the first half and didn't return. So Bielema was wrong about that. But even if they were, just shut up. Like, <laughs> like what are you what are you doing? It just makes you look petty and cheap and, and all of that. You know, he give he gave Michigan State credit for winning, so they played better, obviously. But it's just you don't don't say it. Like you can think it all you want, but don't say it. It's just dumb. So, anyways, that's that's it. It's a poverty program move, as the kids like to say, because you've got Illinois, who's like relevant for what the first time in how long decades, and you you have a Michigan State team. You've got a huge crowd on hand, and you know you just don't take care of business against a team that you're supposed to be better than. And then you're just making excuses right after the game, like in the first time you fall on your face as when somebody finally starts patting you on the back. It's just a bad look. Like, I'm sorry. I hate when any coach makes excuses. That's one thing. Mel Mel rarely makes excuses, really, which is something that I I give him credit for that. When when they lose, he 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 says it, you know, outwardly calling himself a horseshit football coach and whatnot. You know, people are using that against him now, but I do appreciate, you know, maybe that goes back to his neutral thinking, but you don't really ever find him making excuses for games, even when there's bad calls and injuries and whatnot. Uh, I think he says nobody cares. So, uh, and he's right about that because nobody does. You just got to win the game. You got to find a way. So another big picture thing though, uh, I just patted Mel on the back or the head as some people like to do in uh, Michigan stadium. But uh, what was that clock management? Yeah, that was, that was pretty gross. So all right, so everybody remember it was like what two fifty one on the clock. They get the turnover on downs. Illinois is out of timeouts. They run the ball twice to start, and then it kind of goes sideways. You get a delay a game and a, and a timeout, and you know it's third and goal from the fourteen, if I remember this correctly. Conventional wisdom would tell you to run the ball till you know take time off the clock and kick the field goal. I mean, I don't know. Mel just said, uh, well, one, both him and Peyton Thorne said there were communication issues on that possession, signaling issues that that led to them said stopping the game. So it's unclear what if that delay of game penalty was on purpose. Um, 
I don't know. I could see why you could do that if you were looking to back it up to get a potentially get a better angle on the field goal with it being that windy, maybe, or maybe they just screwed up and, and whatever. But either way, it comes down to what you do on third down, and they decide to throw the ball. Um, he so so Thorn throws short to Collins, who was a little late turnaround, incomplete pass. He misses uh, Daniel Barker open in the end zone. So you did have a guy open. The play could have worked. Um, it didn't, and you know you missed the field goal. So everybody's going to give you a hard time, and, and rightfully so. Um, Mel just has said, you know, I thought that was our best chance to win. We had reasons for doing things, yada, yada. I don't have a problem with the play call. Um, you know, if it works, everybody loves it. Oh, look at him being aggressive. You know, we've seen this before from Michigan State. Um, but when it doesn't work, you're going to take a lot of heat. And, and that's just the result of it. So you keep doing stuff like that. It's going to come back to, to burn you at some point in time. Because, um, you know, if you run the ball, what do they end up with? You know, 20 seconds. Yeah, to go exactly. The field. And no timeouts. So. Yeah, it, it, it's tough. I I don't I don't have a problem with it, but um, you know, if it when it doesn't work, you're gonna you're gonna get a hard time for it. All I know is ESPN's game predictor, whatever that means, was at ninety nine point nine percent when they lined up for that third down, and as soon as they gave the ball back, it started significantly dropping as Illinois drove down the field and had a chance to legitimately win the game. So I, I think we need to mention the another key part of this is their field goal kicking their place kicking it's is atrocious non-existent um, they are two for six only on field goals this season um, only one team in the country charlotte has made fewer field goals uh, they've missed two extra points including one on saturday i mean it's just bad <laughs> i don't know how else to put it you're there's at this point in time there is like zero confidence in, in their kicking game at least that's what it you know seems like and this is you know this is not new, you know, ever since uh, Coglin was hurt last year. Um, so that was the last third of last season. So you're really, this is basically like a whole season worth of games where your field goal, your place kicking has been highly suspect and it affects what you, you do offensively and your decision-making and your play calling. And good teams don't have that problem. And that's something they need to get fixed if they're going to you know, be a, a, be a good team. I don't know how else to put it. Like you need a kicker. If you need to go, you, you can't be going, you can't be like, well, shoot, we got a 30 yard field goal here to ice the game. Um, maybe we just go for it on fourth and goal from the 14. Like you, you can't be in that situation. It's bad. This is supposed to be kicker you, Matt. I mean, Morton Anderson, Dave Rayner, Brett Swenson, Matt Coglin. Uh, Conroy, they're all rolling over in their graves right now watching this. Like, <laughs> yeah, this is well, absolutely ridiculous. I shouldn't say graves, they're not dead, but uh, they're just they, what is this? Come on. Well, I mean, you got a true freshman, and let's be honest, you know, that's a tough spot to be in. Uh, Jack Stone's a true freshman, scholar, he's the only scholarship kicker on the roster. You got him and uh, Ben Patton, who's a walk on grad transfer from Auburn, and you know, he's not a normal walk-on. I mean, this guy made a, what, a 49-yarder in the Iron Bowl in overtime last year. So he's been in big moments. So I don't know. And you have some operational issues, obviously, because Hank Pepper, your starting long snapper, has been out the last, what, four or five games. Uh, Michael Donovan's in there. But I didn't – there were no obvious snap problems I saw on Saturday. The wind was obviously a, a problem, but still. He, 31-yard field goal or 33, whatever it was there late, you you got to make that. Put the game away. I I, this is not just a Michigan State problem. Why are college football coaches so reticent to give scholarships to kickers? 
You know, I, I know you said Jack Stone has one, but like they'll never have more than one. Sometimes they have zero. Like coaches hate to do it. Like I feel like Nick Saban like does this all the time, and he's had like bad kickers at like the best program in the country. All for how important they are, it seems like they're worth a scholarship or two. But I don't know. I've never understood that. Where's your kicking coach? What? What? Is there a single <laughs> team in the country that has one of their ten uh, assistant coaches as officially a kicking coach? I don't. I don't know that that exists. Sure? I know you yeah. got special teams coordinator and all that stuff, but what? I don't know. It's it's a problem for them. Uh, it's been an issue all year, and it will continue to be. Uh, going maybe maybe Michigan State should bring in the uh, women's soccer coach to teach these guys how to kick a ball. You know, like you can't you can't find one kid on this campus that can kick a field goal. Like, come on. Well, it's to be fair, the fact that they've only attempted attempted six all season is is. Yeah, I mean, they're, I they're, not, they're not they're not making them practice then. Obviously, yeah. I, I mean. I don't know. Yeah. Sorry. Vanderbilt brought, going to go further down the rabbit hole. Vanderbilt brought over a women's soccer player a couple years ago that worked out for them. So I know. Give it a shot. Yeah, seriously. All right. That concludes. uh, That was more than a special teams corner there. That was more like a special teams rant, but uh, it is an issue and a notable storyline for Michigan state moving forward because, you know, maybe it won't matter as much this year, but you know, if this program wants to start moving in the right direction, you're going to be in some close games and you need a kicker. So <laughs> it's something they're going to have to remedy. But uh, nonetheless, a good win for Michigan State, a good program win, good culture win to kind of get this season back on track. And that sets up back-to-back winnable uh, conference games at home against Rutgers and Indiana, who are arguably, you know, the two worst teams in the conference. Uh, Rutgers held strong with Michigan last week for the first half, at least we're actually leading at halftime, but then the wheels came off in the second half. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that affects the Scarlet Knights coming into this game. Michigan state does lead the all-time series nine to four. They won in Piscataway last year, 31, 13, uh, with a highlighted by a memorable Kenneth Walker run in a ridiculous Jalen Naylor performance. Um, but, uh, I believe Michigan state's about a 10 point favorite, First noon kick of the year at Spartan Stadium. So there you go, Matt. Uh, congrats to you. Um, but, you know, this is a game that if Michigan State wants to make a bowl, they got to win it. Yeah, yeah. This is, I mean, there's no, <laughs> there's no way around that. I mean, if, if they're going to, if they're going to play a, a 13th game this season, you, you got to win your next two at home because you can't go expect to go to Penn State um, to end, this, end the regular season and get that win. So, yeah, this is a very, this is clearly winnable game. This is the first time they've been a favorite uh, or favored since Akron, right, Kyle? Uh, yes. Uh, yeah. First time they, yeah. Since Akron. Yeah. So, um, you know, Rutgers, <laughs> we were in the, press box yesterday or last week and look up and it's like, Oh man, Rutgers got a lead at halftime. And then the next time I looked up there, down like 21 or whatever to Michigan. So um, they are very offensively challenged. Uh, if I remember correctly, uh, Shiano fired his offensive coordinator in the middle of the season. Um, you know, you're breaking in a new quarterback and wins, Matt, if I pronounced that right. Um, we threw three interceptions in the, in the second half. So, I mean, for a, they're, they're not, they have, they continue to have offensive problems. Um, and, and that should bode well for Michigan state's defense. that is suddenly playing better, um, despite, uh, being shorthanded. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, just, they, they have to take care of this game. I don't know what else to put it. This is a game that they should be confident going into. If you can go on the road last week and beat Illinois, you come home, you should be able to take care of business. Not that this is going to be a, you know, a blowout, I don't think, but, um, uh, yeah, a game they should win. Um, Mel got asked about uh, 
remembering the last time Rutgers came to uh, to East Lansing, which was his first game Ooh. as a head coach, and Ooh. he was like, he cut off the questions, like, yeah, I don't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> what was it so, six turnovers? Seven, seven. seven. Oh so yeah, don't turn over the ball seven times. Um, that would be a good place to start. Uh, yeah. So um, I don't, I don't know how, what else to really add uh, about this game. Me neither. But are they still fighting over keep chopping? Oh uh, no, that one, that one, that one's gone dormant. I asked yeah. Mo about that this summer. I was kind of just mentioned I got a laugh out of the uh, the whole keep chopping thing, and basically it's it's like look, he Mel didn't invent the phrase, Shano didn't invent the phrase. It's like it's football, like everything's been around forever. Every saying, every recycled pretty phrases. much, yeah. So whatever, it's not not a big deal. um all right cool well i think that does it for football Uh, obviously a michigan state a game they need to win but suddenly the season has some intrigue again after michigan state has pulled out wins against uh, wisconsin and illinois um you win two against teams you traditionally handle and there you go the uh quick lane bowl the uh what else do we got here is the pinstripe bowl they don't go to the pinstripe bowl anymore do they i think that they I feel like they might have changed allegiances. I'm not I sure. I thought uh, the Pinstripe Bowl was still affiliated with the Big Ten. If it's not, it I need might. to get off this damn Yankees email list. I've been stuck <laughs> on might it for be. three years. If you want to know who's getting yeah. promoted and every time they have a press conference, I I get those emails still. But, um, yeah, I wouldn't mind the Quick Lane Bowl. Uh, would not have a problem with that. It'd be a good, easy one to go to. Be a good crowd, you know. So, you know, I, I, I would, I wouldn't be opposed. I've never been more pumped for a potential quick lane bowl. Let's just say that. Uh, but let's flip to basketball, where the season is just getting underway. Michigan State is one and zero after taking care of business against Northern Arizona, the Lumberjacks at home in what could quite possibly be the first matchup ever between Youpers at the Division One level. Kyle, you were pointing that out did you bet that or is that did you bet that or is that accurate or um you know i i did not have the hours to find every single coach from the up and cross check them all i i tried to get michigan state to do it for me they wouldn't um so i asked tom if he'd ever faced the up before he said no so that's that's as far as we're gonna get but um yeah i mean as far as the game uh i i know a lot of people didn't uh, pony up for the vtn plus so i'll give maybe a little bit more of a, a a recap uh, they look better than against Grand Valley State, um, I thought. And I, I thought that they were a little better than that final score indicated. Even I thought they missed a fair amount of shots, um, good open shots that they created. They're going to make more often than that. Uh, Tyson Walker in particular was, I think, two for 10 and um, shot shot a lo- way worse than he normally shoots. But um, the, the biggest thing was the start. Um, they were really lethargic from the start against Grand Valley. Um, you know, weren't playing good defense, weren't playing with a lot of energy and complete opposite against Northern Arizona. They came out, went up, I think it was 21 to five early and were just swarming all over everywhere on defense, making everything tough for Northern Arizona. They were running the break, um, getting good uh, shots in the fast break. Um, you know, Tyson Walker was getting steals and um, yeah, just, just really set the tone. I thought they had a little bit of a lull in there, but um, overall uh, a much more promising performance. And it was, it was kind of indicative to me. I thought of what we've talked about with this team as far as they have a lot of different weapons. And if some guys are off, other guys are going to be able to pick it up because I mentioned Tyson Walker, he goes two for 10, but Pierre Brooks comes out and hits four threes um, and really a breakout performance for him. Malik Hall didn't play bad, but I think he only took four or five shots, which is quiet. Uh, but Joey Hauser comes out and has a double double. Um, so mm-hmm. you, they've got options is what we've seen. You kind of had one perimeter player do well and one front court player do well. And, and that was enough for them. Will it be enough against Gonzaga? I don't know, but it was, um, 
It, it could have been five or six different guys doing that. And those, those are the two it was. Joey Hauser was a highlight for me. I mean, he, he had a double, double, obviously that's impressive to see, but more so just like his shot selection and shot taking mm-hmm. was, was key for me because, you know, we've talked about it ad nauseum. I mean, confidence is a huge thing with Joey Hauser and they need him to be a scorer. I mean, I think he played almost the most minutes on the team, uh, 31, I think that's up there in, in minutes. And, uh, in the past, we've seen Joey Hauser, if, if the shots aren't falling or if he has a turnover trying to drive to the basket, he'll sort of like hide a little bit in the past. In this one, or in the second half particularly, I remember a sequence where he missed two threes in a row and then Michigan State came back down again and, and he he took a shot with no hesitation and, and drained the three. And I think he was four for eight. Um, he's from long range. Um, let's see, one of the shot leaders on the team attempted 12 total shots. Actually, that is the most on the team. Uh, Michigan State needs Joey Howard to be aggressive, and he has to keep shooting when they're not falling because a guy like that can get hot in a hurry. Yeah, he seems like he's finally, I don't mean, I don't want to get his head too much, but he seems like he's finally accepted the fact that he is a go-to player on this team and he can take the most shots and um, shoot after, you know, after a couple misses and not hesitate and not think past first. And, and that, and that's what they need. I mean, I know he hasn't always been the most consistent offensively at Michigan state, but I think there'll be a better team if he has that mindset and he's not being hesitant. Um, I, I think the other thing we should mention is Jaden Akins. Uh, he played, uh, he had sat out the entire preseason um, with a foot injury, uh, but came back to practice late last week. Uh, everything went well, uh, played a practice without pain. So he came out. Um, I thought he, like, he looked like he moved fine to me. Um, I, I think he was a little rusty with his shot. I think he was three for 10. Um, so I, I think you can chalk that up to him. Um, not really being on the practice court, but, but overall compared to what we thought even a week ago, or a little bit more than that, that he, he went out, played, I think, 16 minutes um, in the opener and, and moved well and hasn't had any setbacks. Uh, I, I think getting him Northern Arizona was good considering, you know, they've got Gonzaga and Kentucky and everything else coming up. I mean, if, if he's going to have a game that, that he needs to kind of shake the rust off, you'd certainly rather be Northern Arizona than, um, and, and that's not to say he'll look rust free um, on Saturday, but I think, I, I think that's going to be good for them that, that he got a game in. Yeah. And, and Trey Holloman continues to be better than I thought he was going to be. And if he needs to play a little more minutes as Aiken sort of gets up to speed, I think that Michigan state can be comfortable with that. I mean, we'll see against Gonzaga, but similar to Aiken's last year, he seems like one of those young guys that just plays with a lot of energy and sort of brings a jolt to the team when he comes on the floor. Um, Mm -hmm. So I I think the freshman will be interesting to watch throughout the year. Speaking of a jolt, I just watched Sonic, Sonic the Hedgehog too. And I think Tyson Walker's hands move faster than Sonic's like, (laughs) he is just swiping steals like crazy. I mean, we see why he was the defensive player of the year in the, uh, uh, at Northeastern. And and it's weird because we, I feel like we didn't see it that much last year. Like he was good defensively last year, but the, the exhibition and the opener, it's been like, Oh yeah, that's kind of what I expected. Where, where was that last year? Um, right. The, the other key guy we should mention is, is Hogard, uh, did not have his best game, but he had eight assists. So I shouldn't say it was all bad, but he, um, he, he's finding that line between like being aggressive and overdoing it, you know, cause he'll, he'll have a couple plays where he, you know, he, at least twice a game, he put, he's <laughs> like, pushing the ball, you know, he's seeing guys and he's doing all the right things. And then he'll have a play where he he's looking at three defenders in front of him and he just drives straight into him with his head down and takes a charge. He took two charges on, um, on Monday and, and had to sit a lot of it because of foul trouble and had, I think four turnovers, three turnovers, and Izzo, 
three i say four because Izzo marked him down for a fourth because there was a play where he should have been and that's how that's how Izzo grades so so he just takes the stat sheet <laughs> yeah, and pretty, pretty much um but i was asking him and, and he's saying um i he brought it up because i i asked him about hogard and that kind of balance and he said yeah like i want it's hard because i want him to be aggressive and i and i teach him to be aggressive but he just has to learn the limits of that um mm-hmm. and and not to go one on three so i mean that'll just take time but over, overall i mean still getting eight assists and um i don't have the box score in front of me but he did not play his typical minute load and still had eight assists and i thought made some some really good passes and um yeah so overall encouraging i'd say just 16 minutes, actually, 16, for Hogarth, yeah. which is significantly less than we would expect him to play in the future. Um, and then Jalen Cohn for uh, Northern Arizona, impressed with him, just wanted to say that. And he had some good things to say about Tom, his own Michigan State's program. Uh, also, shout out to the students who were doing the broadcast. I thought they did a great job. Um, you know, shout out to the his own two for two on the fake shot <laughs> yes. clock countdown. How is that not on every team scouting <laughs> report at this know. point, Kyle? How? It's, like, it's, it's unbelievable. And, and there's times where, like um, – so in the first half, you know, they count down and they make you shoot while there's still three seconds left. And there's some times where it, it's hard to tell if like they really shot because of that or if that was the shot they were going to take anyway. But th- they had a no doubter where the dude like had his head down and here's the one and just like chucks it up and terrible. And then <laughs> then in the second half, they got a guy to dribble through the shot clock, which is always funny, too. So yeah, I saw Tom sort of look at the, <laughs> the zone after that one. and like, you got him. You got yeah. him. It worked. Um, but that always gets everyone hype. It's always a crowd pleaser. 27 three-point attempts. If this team's taking a lot of threes, I'd like them to go to the basket a little bit more. And I know they're not going to be an interior scoring team, but you know, is this team, they have shooters. So is this something we're just going to have to get used to is that they're going to launch a lot of threes? I think so. Yeah. Um, and, and is there with you? Like he wants to see more, more foul attempts. They're not going to come from Mati Sissoko. Um, I, I didn't think Mati played poorly, but he is what he is. He's not going to be an offensive force. Um, so I, I think he wants, you know, Tyson Walker, A.J. Hogard, Malik Hall, um, those guys put it on the floor and drawing more fouls. Um, but that's that's easier said than done sometimes. And we talked about before, the team's strength offensively is its three-point shooting. And you got to rely on your strength. Uh, the downside of that is that that's going to be a lot more streakier than having a solid post-presence score. And you're going to have good nights and bad nights. And maybe you can rise up and beat a Gonzaga or Kentucky because you shoot, you know, 40% as a team and make, you know, you know, I can't do the math, but 10 of those, um, those 20 or something attempts. Um, but then you could flip side of that, uh, lose a game. You're not supposed to. So, um, I, I'm not sure they'll be at 27 most nights, but I think it'll, this will be a higher than normal three point shooting team. And I think we might see some topsy turvy, uh, stuff as a result. They got to run if they want to get easy two point baskets. I mean, in the half court, this team, I think is going to struggle similar to last two years. They might struggle a little bit to have consistent, you know, two point, uh, attempts, but you know, if the threes are falling, that won't matter. But the way we see them combat that in the past is to get out and run. So, uh, we'll see. I, if the I, guess, the, I guess the other guy that. we should talk about, um, just mentioned briefly, I guess is, is Jackson Kohler. I thought he was, he was solid. So they doubled him, which surprised everybody, including Tom and flustered him into two turnovers early. But when he was working on a legitimate single team, like you saw, what everyone's been talking about with him as far as the post move. He had a nice like baseline drive reverse layup. Um, again, like we said, I don't know if he's going to be able to do that against um, Drew Timmy. Drew, Drew Timmy. <laughs> Actually, I don't, it's going to be much harder to do that against Drew Timmy. Let's put it that way. But um, Oh, are you sure, Kyle? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but, 22 uh, and 22 and uh, he only had one rebound last game against North Florida. What's he doing? Yeah, yeah. I wonder that too. 
What is that? I don't know. We can talk about that, I guess, briefly. You're heading out to San Diego aircraft carrier. That should be fun. But Gonzaga is the number two team in the country, according to Ken Palm. They blasted North Florida uh, a couple days ago. Drew Timmy's the main guy that you're going to want to know about. But, you know, a lot of experience coming back also uh, in the backcourt with Julian Strother and Rasier Bolton. Uh, Anton Watson's another big guy they have. Up, uh, Omar Ballo is a former um, – oh, no, he plays for Arizona now, I think, actually. He transferred. Um, but a lot of size that Michigan State is going to have to deal with against Gonzaga. But overall, it should just be a fun experience for everyone. Yeah, it will be. Um, I, I can tell you Michigan State um, – He's really, really dug into Gonzaga. Like, like Izzo, um, they, they finished um, Northern Arizona, went straight up here, watched the second half of Gonzaga and did all their prep. And on Tuesday, they did like their normal day before practice. Once, like once you get out to San Diego, like you have some practice time, but it's not the same. So they mm-hmm. they were really going at it yesterday um, and, and putting a lot of preparation into this game. Um, but because – it's going to be tough. And it's like you said, it kind of stuff. I feel like it kind of starts and ends with Timmy. If you, and if you can, you can do anything against him. I mean, you're not going to totally stop him, but if you can contain him and make things hard for him and not get all your big guys in foul trouble, trying to defend him. Um, but at the same time, I mean, he's a passer, not let him distribute the ball too and, um, and beat you that way. I mean, it's, it, it's going to be tough. The Jag is a good team. I mentioned I'm going to New York. I'm going to be at a Manhattan Jaspers game uh, when the aircraft carrier game is going on. So that was poor planning on my part. It's kind of a running joke with me and my buddy who lives there. We sort of become fans of the Jaspers. Uh, and then they've torched their program I, I was about two to say, days do, before. Do, do they have a coach? Or are, you, <laughs> no, you coach I, are you going to go coach them? I know. We might play. They might ask us to play. I'm not yeah. sure. Uh, so that plan kind of backfired. Poor planning on my part. But, hey, it'll be fun to go see a little mid-major uh, – arena dratty gymnasium they call it there in, in manhattan so uh i'll be there and watching the aircraft carrier game on my phone it's also recorded so i'll have plenty of time to review it but kyle will be there in san diego going through all the uh, uh military checkpoints making sure he gets in there to witness what will sure to be a, a fantastic scene uh that the whole country will likely be watching so hopefully michigan state even if they lose they can come out and play well and, and if they win they'll be the talk of college basketball so a big opportunity for michigan state and these are the things that Tom Izzo loves and why he schedules games like this, because it's good for the program. It's great experiences for the kids uh, and it's a great opportunity. So Matt will also be at Spartan Stadium this weekend uh, as Michigan State takes on Rutgers and all our coverage for both games can be found at MLive.com slash Spartans. Appreciate everyone for listening once again today. So for Carlos and Matt Wenzel, once again, thank you for listening to MLive Spartan Confidential Podcast. We'll talk to you next time. And go green.